0: So let's take our Bibles tonight, okay? Let's turn back to the book of Matthew. I'm going to spend some time tonight here. As you know, I think most of you know, we've been spending some time together over these last few months, working through some, uh, some thoughts that I have been um, kind of returning to as I'm reading back through the Gospels myself. And my hope is to kind of hop, skip, and jump through Mark and Luke and John as well as I continue reading. But I'm, I'm going back and hitting some, some high points of things I'm reading from the book of Matthew right now. And tonight I just want to take up another text here, we were in chapter 9, last time we were in Matthew. Tonight I want to go to chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10 and I want to consider just a few thoughts this evening before we pray together. Uh, truth be told, the, the context for the section I want to focus in on is quite heavy. It's rather intimidating to the thoughtful, the, the conscientious reader. I want to go back and read the context that flows to the section I really want to look at, okay? So we're just going to read over a larger section to set the stage for a, a shorter section that follows. So let's begin the reading at verse 16. I'm going to read down through verse 25, and then we're going to really going to kind of look into what follows that, okay? So beginning at verse 16, Matthew writes this, Christ's words, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Let's just stop our reading there for a moment. I want to ask a question. I want you to think with me. What is the natural, typical response of our hearts to such tidings as these? Persecution will arise. People will hate you for my sake. You'll stand, you'll speak, and you'll suffer for it. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I have to say that there are thoughts in my own heart when these kinds of things come to the fore It cause me to respond somewhat fearfully. I and mean, this kind of news isn't good news we tend to think. And the fact of the matter is that we are not naturally inclined to be excited about the prospect of suffering. We we don't find ourselves, you know, excited like on a child on Christmas morning, can't wait to get up and open presents because of what's coming is pain. It's prison. It's rejection. Sadly, I think we have to confess that this is not the way that most of us here in the American church think about normal Christianity, if we're honest, that it would be the persecuted church. We were talking about it last night in the Bible study, right? I mean, you think about other parts of the world, sure. Persecuted church here? Eh, that's not what Christianity looks like here. That's not normal here. In fact... Where we sit, the the so-called normal Christian life looks an awful lot like a modified version of the American dream. If it's modified at all. I follow Jesus and get everything I want. Follow Jesus and do whatever I please. Follow Jesus and have all the stuff I've dreamed about. Follow Jesus and everybody loves me. Follow Jesus and it's all good. We think that's normal Christianity. Not What Jesus actually described to his disciples, the world would see them, hear them, and treat them like they did our Lord. After all, we follow a master. We're not masters. And if they treated the master one way, they're going to treat his servants, his followers, like they treated the master, is what Jesus said. We certainly, I think, are quick to condemn the excesses of uh, the uh, obviously dangerous, overtly destructive prosperity gospel, we're f- somewhat familiar with that here. We know that's a terrible export from our nation as we have, we have to begin to preach, you follow Jesus and you'll have everything you want, and we, we would argue against its excesses. But I think what happens is this, while we do not embrace its excesses, far too many of us are tempted at least to become quite at home with what we might refer to generally as, a, as just a comfortable Christianity. Follow Jesus and be as comfortable as I want. In fact, we're rather offended if any of our rights are ever trampled on. If any of the things that everybody around us has are, are somehow violated, we're, we, we, we just find ourselves in a tiff. I mean, we're just, we're just angry. How dare anyone be contrary to me? Let's face it, none of us likes rejection. None of us likes rejection. None of us likes pain. We know that. That's human nature. We all have a fight or flight, right? That's just, that's just, that's just kind of how we're, we're wired. Just think about it. The most natural thing in the world is to become fearful in the face of opposition. When the cost hurts, will I pay it? We discussed in our Bible study last night, if I'm unwilling to be made uncomfortable, what makes me think I'll actually die for him? And this is why I think our Lord actually goes on in the next verses to address the tendency of our heart to recoil from such realities and figure out ways to make it not so. As we respond with a fear of being made uncomfortable. We respond with a fear of hurting. We respond with a, a fear of, of death. And it's interesting that in the, in the next paragraph, the Lord actually three different times tells his disciples on the heels of, of the words we just read. Do not fear. Don't fear this. He says it in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. Or verse 28, he says it again, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and, uh, soul and body in hell. And then again in verse 31, what's he say? Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So in the immediate paragraph after this long explanation that it's going to be hard for those that are faithful, he says, no, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, friends, when, when you and I read, we notice we've, we've been studying through Matthew, and one of the things we've been noting as we've been reading through Matthew is the patterns in the text, right? We've been looking for patterns in the text. When you read a short section of verses and Jesus says the same thing three times in that many short verses. I think we need to glean the fact that he's trying to get at a point. Like he's trying to make a point. And if we're not careful, we're going to shrug and go, well, that's not my problem. I'm brave. I'm bold. I'm smart. I'll figure it out. Jesus is talking to you. He's talking to me. He is addressing the knee jerk reaction of the natural heart when difficulty comes. We become afraid. And he says it three times don't be. Don't be afraid. It doesn't take much digging here to understand that our Lord is addressing one big idea, and King Jesus does not want his people to be fearful in the face of persecution. I mean, that's just that's what the whole flow of this, this whole passage is about. And instead, Jesus wants us to, he wants us to be confident in the midst of trial, not fearful in the midst of trial. And as I noted a moment ago, I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say, when this kind of stuff happens, there's something in me that just starts to get nervous. All right, I'm willing to pay prices, but how much is this one going to cost? How big is this bill going to be? How much is this one going to hurt? And there's something in my natural heart that just goes, oh. I don't like this. I don't want this. And fear begins to rise. What I want to do with the, just a few moments tonight is I want, to, I want to show you three reasons. He said it three times. I want to show you the three reasons he gives why he does not want us to be fearful. He actually, he actually lists three reasons why we should not be afraid in the face of persecution. And as I often do, I preach to myself tonight as much as to anybody else, okay? So I I just want you to hear that. This is is something I need to hear. I think it's something we all need to hear. Three reasons not to be afraid in the face of opposition, persecution, trial, and tribulation. Those three reasons are these three reasons for confidence. Number one, the truth will be revealed. The truth will be revealed. See, what are you talking about? Well, look at verses 26 and 27, okay? I want you to go right down through this paragraph with me. Verses 26 and 27. What's he say here? So have no fear of them. Why? For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. The, the, The record will ultimately be set straight. That's so what verse 26 is about. The record's ultimately going to be set straight. So, okay, Joe, what are, what are you talking about? Well, in short, what he's saying is this. He's saying that, that on the day of judgment, everyone's secrets will be revealed. The truth's going to come out. Sins committed in secret are going to be exposed. Faithfulness that was never seen will be rewarded. Think about it. On the last day, everyone will learn who the ones on the right side of history actually were. Even if the faithful looked like failures, the truth will come out. You see, there's something about our fallenness that... Thinks we need to be vindicated now. Like the truth needs to be told now. People have to know now what's true. They, they got to know now I was right. They got to know now I, was, I wasn't wrong. I was being lied about. And, and what does he say? There is a day when all secrets are going to be told. But There's something in me that wants it to happen today, Right? Yesterday, like I, I, I want the secrets told now. And there's something in me, and I think there's something in you that's so short-sighted. That we're just we're just wired this way. We're short-sighted. We don't we don't think in eternal terms. And it's interesting to me as I read this text that that, that Jesus was letting us know that it doesn't really matter what anyone says about you now, what anyone says about me now, because our God will vindicate us in eternity. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. He will set the record straight. Eventually. And what is that supposed to do? Well, more than it seems to do typically. Because according to Jesus, he says that reality that that what they might not right now know about you will one day be made so that fact should make you bold. And should make me bold so that I am willing to preach from the house top's truth knowing that even if they don't understand the message now, if they don't believe the message now, they don't turn. In fact, they kill me for the message. Eventually, they're going to know what I said was true. How else do you explain John the Baptist willing to get his head cut off over the subject of who his king should be married to? John didn't die for the gospel. Ultimately, John died for marriage. He's in jail because he told his king, you don't have a right to be married to that woman. And she didn't like it and she figured out a way to twist the king's words and his heart to get John's head cut off. You know what? He looked like an absolute failure, a fool. He walked around in camel's hair, he ate locust and wild honey, he stood by a river out where out of the city where people went to to watch the crazy man shout. And Jesus set up John there's not a greater man on earth than him. Hmm. Are you willing to be the crazy man? The crazy woman in the world's eyes? And let Jesus sort it out in the end? Or have you and I convinced ourselves we have to be understood? We have to be appreciated. We have to be living in such a way that we still can look cool, right? We can still be accepted. We're not odd. No, we're not strange. You guys don't get it, but we're not really straight. This, this how how defensive do we become? What did Jesus say? They're going to hate you. Get that through your head. Get that through my head. They're going to hate you because they hated me and you follow me, he said. And in the end, everybody's going to know the truth. Let me take care of you. Brothers and sisters, that's hard. That's that's heavy, but it's freeing. Because in the end, it's not my responsibility to make sure everyone knows and appreciates how right I've actually been. It's my job to speak truth from the housetops, whether they get it, whether they like it or not. And Jesus will ultimately set the record straight. So he says, be bold. I'm keeping tabs. Be bold. I'm keeping score. Be bold. I'll set it all right in the end. I love this. The scriptures are clear. First of all, he tells us that the truth will be revealed, so do not fear. Secondly, he says this, that the Lord is always reigning. The Lord is always reigning. Look at verses 28 to 31. Uh, we, we, we see it there. Uh, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Don't miss this. I think as I read this, this kind of popped out in my, my thinking. Forgetting who is truly in charge leads to misplaced fear. So forgetting who's really in charge leads to misplaced fear. I think that's what he's saying here. You see, truth be told, too often I think we only fear those who can harm our bodies in this life, right? We said we don't like pain, right? So so we fear the ones who can make us hurt. We fear the ones who have the rods and who carry the swords. We, we fear the one who, the ones who control the courts. We, we fear the ones who makes, make the laws. We, we fear the ones who can, who can uh, cause us to continue making a living or not have one at all. We, we, we fear the ones who can harm the body. But I want you to think this through. How often do you and I wrestle with the fact that our greatest fears should not be temporal ones. Like our greatest fears should not be temporal ones. They, they tend to be. They tend to be. Our greatest fears tend to be temporal. And what is he saying? Your, your greatest fears, my greatest fears, should not be temporal. They should not be earth-bound. They should not be physical and fleshly. I think if we're perfectly honest, I, I, most of us would have to admit that we tend to be more, most concerned about what, what people think. Fear of man, right? That's why the Old Testament tells us the fear of man brings a snare. We, we are ensnared by the fear of what people think. We, we tend to fear what people can do to us. That's what he said. Those who can kill the body, right? The scriptures address this. We, we tend to be most troubled by the aches and the pains, by the gains and the losses, by the ups and the downs, by the successes and the failures of this life. Like That's what's on our radar Is anyone noticing? Is anyone keeping track? So easy to think in these terms. But friends, we we should not be most concerned about these things. We tend to be, but we should not. In fact, it should never be that these are our greatest concerns. And yet watch how we tend to live. Just think about how we tend to shop. How we choose what brands we buy. Labels matter, typically not to us, because guess what? Whether this company makes the cheese or that company makes the cheese, it really doesn't matter. It's cheese and it eats, right? But we think in terms of, I wonder what my guests are going to like. Are they going to think I'm cheap if I buy the cheap stuff? How often do we buy a label on a car or clothing and it's like, you know what, Walmart works just fine, but you know, some of these other companies, people are going to notice, right? Now hear me, I'm not arguing with what and telling you what you should buy or what you shouldn't. I'm just asking, how are you motivated? Somebody has the money and can do with that money what they will and they're being frugal and wise and they're being generous, do what you will. I'm just asking about the heart, like what drives the label choice? So often it's just the fear of man. What are they going to think of me if I what? If I buy? If I say? If I do or don't do? How much of our life is governed by fearing what people think or what people will do if I say, do, don't do, live, purchase, whatever. Like, like how much of our lives we are we living in the grip of fear of the wrong person? The wrong one. Friends, don't don't miss this, the truth of the matter is that our greatest needs, our greatest concerns are never temporal. We can't lose sight of this. that The the greatest needs that you and I will ever face are eternal ones. This is why the Lord calls us once more to this eternal view that rightly fears the one, he says, who can destroy both soul and body. In hell. Notice he says have no fear of the one who can hurt your body. But be filled with fear of the one who can destroy your soul. A right reverential awe that is moved with the thought of responsibility and accountability to your Maker. And I got to ask myself the question, how often do I get past the fear of man to even thinking about the other one? Because so many of our decisions are driven, I will open my mouth or keep it shut because of who else is in the room. And what are they going to think? I'll do or don't do, buy or don't buy, live or don't do this. Why? Because they're around. Not because thus saith the Lord. I have to do with him. See, we know the language. Live for an audience of one. That's a really neat slogan. It can be on a hat or a t-shirt, but not ever get to the heart, right? It can never get to the mind. We we know that language. But is it changing us? See, Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill your body. But live in awe and reverence and fear of the one with whom you will eternally have to do. One commentator actually remarked on this passage in light of this verse this way. He said, physical death thus pales in comparison to the prospect of eternal punishment. Like Physical death? I'm worried about the second death. How about you? So, so often I think... Our minds never make it to the second because we're so stuck on the first. Jesus is speaking plainly, and what does he say? He says, The truth will be revealed, so be bold. He says, Secondly, the Lord is always reigning, so be bold. The third thing he says in this passage is this He says, The bold will be rewarded. Payday's coming. There's a payday, there's a reward day coming for the bold, for the faithful. Notice verse 32 and 33, what's he say? So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. First thing we see here, I think plainly, is that Jesus declares the eternal importance of acknowledging him before men. Notice it's not just acknowledging him in my heart. We, we, we live in a day when people say things like this. Religion is a personal thing, right? It's a private matter. So believe whatever you want in your heart. We live in a day when people say, keep it in your heart, keep it in your church. Don't bring it to the public square. Don't, don't, don't let it out. Don't speak of it. Now, what did he say? He didn't say, acknowledge me in your heart. He said, acknowledge me before men. To acknowledge him is to publicly and unashamedly confess and declare one's allegiance to Christ above all others. No greater allegiance, no greater loyalty, no greater accountability, no higher king. It's fascinating when Jesus was... Coming before Pilate and the crowds were being assembled. Do you remember the the issue there that day? Do you remember what the crowds began to chant? We have no king but Caesar. The issue here was authority. The issue here was allegiance. The issue here was acknowledgement. We don't submit to this so-called king of the Jews. No, we submit ourselves to Caesar. They acknowledged who their king was. We must acknowledge who our king is. Just think it through. It's, it's not enough to merely give mental assent to biblically accurate truth about Jesus. Yeah, this is true. OK, I like it. It's good stuff. It's convenient to hold while it doesn't cost me much. Right. No, no. It's not just mental assent. Friends, it's not enough to say some right things or do some nice things for him or in his name. In fact, he will one day stand. And there will be many who stand before him one day. And have, they've done all kinds of things potentially for most of their lives in his name. And he says, I never knew you. So just saying a few words in his name, doing a few things in his name doesn't doesn't mean I've genuinely acknowledged him or that he knows me in a saving way. Rather, what Jesus is teaching here is that we must actually embrace him in such a real and a practical and an enduring way that we do not recant him no matter what it costs. No matter what relationships, no matter what what price financially no, no matter what it means for my employee no matter what it means when it comes to whether or not i i live or die i love the description in the scriptures of those who loved not their lives even unto death because they loved their lord It's vital to remember the context of the verses we're reading now. Remember, we, we, we read the, the paragraph before to make sure we knew what was leading to these words in Matthew. Everything that Jesus says here in this paragraph is in the context of what came before it, the the context of opposition, of persecution, and of trial. One commentator writing about this section said, Such acknowledgement, talking about him saying, Acknowledge me before men, such acknowledgement means remaining faithful to Jesus even if one must die for him. And then he added this in his commentary. This kind of commitment is not likely to be faked. Like I can fake commitment that, that just needs to hold out for the weekend, right? And then, it, then the pressure's off. I just got to hold out for a week or two or a few years and, and, and then I'm free. But they put the axe to the back of my neck. The barrel of the gun to my forehead. Or my children's. It's hard to fake commit then. You're committed. Or you're not. As we have to note the fact that Jesus makes us a promise here. He doesn't just call for commitment, he makes us a promise. And he tells us that everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. What a thought. <laughs> what a thought. One day, every true and faithful Christian will stand before the Father and hear King Jesus tell the Father, He's mine. She's mine. They're with me. And I'm with them. That's what he's saying. You name him now. He'll name you then. Friends, we who have claimed him here on earth, he says, who remain faithful to him to the end, will be claimed eternally in heaven. This is why I say the bold will be rewarded. In the previous text, Jesus spoke of the, the same truth when he said, the one who endures to the end will be saved, right? That's what we just read. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That's what he's talking about. And we have to ask the question, is there any greater reward than that? Like we tend to think of, uh, of cost and payoff, right? It's the kind of how we, we live our lives, cost and benefit. Like we kind of think of weekends as the reward for our week. And vacations as a reward for our year. Retirements as a reward for a lifetime. What greater reward could there ever be than glory? Glory. Glory. Years ago, I read the story of three young African boys. They ranged in age from, from 11 to 15. I've got a just turned 13 year old and a just turned 16 year old. This hits close to home. They were martyred for their faith. In 1885, before the fires were lit that would take their lives, they sent a message to the king who had ordered their execution. 11 to 15, they said to their killers, tell his majesty that he has put our bodies in the fire but we won't be long in the fire. Soon we will be with Jesus, which is much better. But ask the king to repent, to change his mind, or he will land in a place of eternal fire. How many 11-year-olds do you know who talk like that today? We struggle to get 15-year-olds out of bed. I'm not talking about you, (laughs) listen. It's reported that the youngest of the boys, the 11 year old Looked the soldiers in the eye. And he asked a simple question. Please. Please don't cut off my arms. Because they had threatened to cut their arms off. So they couldn't fight back. Please don't cut off my arms. I will not struggle in the fire that takes me to Jesus. An 11 year old. clear that these young men understood this biblical truth, the bold will be rewarded. And they wanted their reward. More than they wanted their lives. I just have to ask myself the question. As I ask us the question. Do we even know what boldness looks like? What it sounds like. The posture it takes. The tone of voice that speaks with confidence, but humility. You don't need the sword to cut off my arms. You can throw me in the fire. I won't fight back. That, my friends, is the boldness Christ is calling for. Sadly, though, even Jesus acknowledges the fact that not not everyone will stand firm in their confession of Christ. There are those who will say, I'm his, he's mine, but they won't stand firm. They won't hold the confession. They'll name him and then they'll turn from him. They'll name him and then they'll flee from him when the heat is turned up, when the cost begins to rise. And that's why Jesus ends with a warning to those who who fail to faithfully acknowledge him before men. We see that there in in verse 33. But whoever denies me, right, denies me before men. I also will deny before my father. Who's in heaven. You see, with the very same kind of matter of factness that he promised the claim to be faithful, uh, promised, to, claim, uh, uh, promised to, to, to the faithful, he now promises to to deny the faithless, right? I would claim the faithful. I'm, I'm going to deny the faithless. It's just how it is. It's how it's going to be. And I think, friends, we almost hear and heed the warning, Wh- whoever Whoever denies King Jesus before men will be denied by King Jesus before the Father. And I've often wondered how many, have, how many more have denied him by their silence than they ever have with their words. Because it's just easier not. Put your head out, stick your neck out, right? It's just easier not to be noticed, to fly under the radar. But is that less of a denial than if I were to stand up and say I recant, brothers and sisters? I I I, I I share these things because I need to hear these things. I, I, I want to I sound a call tonight from the text as I've been reading and challenged again in my own study of the word. I want to call us to courageous Christianity, not comfortable Christianity. Courageous Christianity. And by God's grace, may we grow, may I, may you grow in our confidence for Christ as we remember that the truth will be revealed. The Lord is always reigning. The bold will be rewarded. So what's Jesus say? So be bold. Joe Henson, be bold people of Trinity Bible Church be bold. And there's a difference between stupidity, foolishness and Christ-inspired boldness. We can have that talk another night, right? But but tonight I just want to talk about boldness. Are you bold? Or do I hide behind a word like wisdom and it's actually I'm just cowardly? It's cowardly. Just feel smarter not to say anything right now. And Jesus would say, hmm, that would be a a great moment to name my name. To let it be known you're mine. And no one else's. I read the words of Jesus, brothers and sisters, my, my heart is challenged, it's convicted, but it's also encouraged, it's strengthened, it's it's emboldened. If I'm honest, as I read through the Gospels, there are sections that I'm tempted to just say, you know, let's let's not go back there. Let's let's not bring that one up again. It'd be so much easier to just read a story of Jesus and talk about all the sweet stuff, right? And, And yet, what does he say? No, no. Those who are mine, those who are mine, make it known that they're mine, no matter what it costs. And it will always be worth it to do so. So let's pray to that end tonight, okay? That God would make us a bold people for the sake of Christ.